0: Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, verses 10 through 13. Hear these words. Listen to the Lord's word, you nations, and announce it to the distant lands. The one who scattered Israel will gather them and keep them safe as a shepherd his flock. The Lord will rescue the people of Jacob and deliver them from the power of those stronger than they are. They will come shouting for joy on the hills of Zion, jubilant over the Lord's gifts, grain, wine, oil, flocks, and herds. Their lives will be like a lush garden. They will grieve no more. Then the young women will dance for joy. The young and old men will join in. I will turn their mourning into laughter and their sadness into joy. I will comfort them. And in the 25th verse, it says, I will strengthen the weary and renew those who are weak. This is the third week of the Advent season. This is the third week in our message series titled Christmas Gifts. We've been talking about the fact that we are all groomed in the knowledge that Christmas is the season of giving. We give gifts to family. We give gifts to our friends. It is something... That is natural to each one of us that we enjoy during this season. But we've also put this in context of the church, and we're asking the question that during the Advent season, what should we be giving as gifts to the world? What should we, the church, be giving as gift to the world, gifts to the world? To begin this series, we talked about the gift of hope. We're reminded that we need to share with others the expectation. That God is still doing something new in our world. That God began work in Jesus and it continues through us. That we are a message of hope and we are to embody that hope in the world. God is still on the move and active. Last week we considered the power of giving the gift of peace to the world. In the midst of the turmoil that is around us, we are invited to be different than those who sow more turmoil. We are called to find peace, and we're called to find that peace in the person of Jesus Christ. But not just find it ourselves, we're to be a people who send peace into our world. This week we're going to attempt to find a a clear picture of what joy is, and how we are to share joy with the world. One of the things that some of us do during the Christmas season is we take time to watch Christmas movies. Now... In my house, it is 30 days of watching holiday movies on the Hallmark Channel. Mrs. Hoffman loves their Christmas movies and can watch them over and over and over again. Now me, I'm thankful that we own more than one TV in our home. Amen? Do I get any amens out there, others of you? I'm going to guess that I'm not alone in this, and I'm not going to stereotype but I would say that there's probably some of you out there who are in the same circumstance as myself, right? Watching holiday movies. Personally, if if I were to take time to watch a holiday movie, I'd prefer to watch one of the classics. One of my favorites, of course, is Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Rosemary Clooney and others who are in the movie White Christmas. I love that movie. That's one of my favorites of all time. A close second is It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, right, as George Bailey. Now, if you don't recall, there's there's an interesting kind of theme or storyline that goes on in It's a Wonderful Life. You might be reminded that George was a man who had wild dreams, but he gave up those dreams in order to help others by running the savings and loan in his hometown. A mistake in the deposit is made, and pressure from a really powerful Mr. Potter drives George to consider suicide. On the moment on Christmas Eve when he's about to jump off the bridge, a guardian angel by the name of Clarence Oddbody intervenes, forcing George to rescue him instead of George taking his own life. Clarence then takes George on a journey, and he shows George all the lives that he has touched and how different life in his community of Bedford Falls would be if he had never been born, George, seeing the joy that he has brought to others, recants on his desire to take his own life. He discovers that his life has been and will continue to be meaningful. Now, maybe one of the best lines of the movie is one of Clarence's where he says, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many others. And when he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? How many of you are at a point in your life where you're about to disconnect from everyone around you? How many of you are ready to move to a remote island so you aren't impacted by all the dysfunction in our politics and our society? How many of you grew up with a dream of fairness and happiness only to have it revealed that that's an illusion? that illusion of fairness, that illusion of happiness. I'm reading a book by Tex Sample. It's a new one that he just published this year. Now, Tex is a former professor. He's a professor emeritus of Church and Society at St. Paul's School of Theology. He's written several books, but he wrote a new book. It's titled Working Class Rage, A Field Guide to White Anger and Pain. His book looks at the death of the American dream and the reaction of those who believed in it. People who believed that they had their place in line and they followed others and others followed them as we all moved upward in our society. They were a group of people who played by the rules, worked hard, were moral and ethical. They were people of integrity. And they were people that believed that everyone else should play by the same rules and work hard to get ahead, only to find that these parameters are not producing what they expected or believe they were promised. For them, the American dream is quickly fading away. The American dream was and is being decimated. But it's not being decimated for the reasons that we believe. Now some of you, you may resonate with a book like this one. You might resonate with the emotions and the sentiments that drive people to be cynical in our society, that drive people to violate their values when they vote, that drive people to demonize the ones they perceive to be the reason that they aren't getting ahead in the American dream. You might feel justified in being hopeless. You might have no joy to share with yourself, let alone anyone else. In spite of the disfigurement of what we assumed we are working for and what was potentially owed to us, I think we all know that God calls us to stick around, that running away isn't the option, because if the church was gone, who would share joy in this world? Maybe the hole that we would leave is the void of joy, at least I think that's one of the many gifts that we do give. And if we would go away, if the church would go away, and its members would all go away, I believe joy might go with us. Right? Why? Think about the the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. But he's a weeping prophet who shares a vision of joy. In the Hebrew Bible, the word joy speaks of an inner emotion or of well-being. But it's not just a static emotion. It's not an emotion that has no effect. Joy is expressed and embodied by the worshipers in their act of rejoicing. This inward state of being creates an outward expression. Actually, the Hebrew Bible speaks more about rejoicing than it does joy. The focus is more on the impact rejoicing has on others than the internal emotion of of joy. The prophet Zephaniah put it this way. In chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, he wrote, Rejoice, daughter Zion! Shout, Israel! Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem! The Lord has removed your judgment. He has turned away your enemy, The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. For on that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't fear Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with His love. He will rejoice over you with your singing. Jeremiah and Zephaniah share the same vision. God's deliverance of the people. And from this... Rejoicing transpires. The people are moved, not just emotionally, but also physically. For Jeremiah, joy is a result of the fulfillment of God's promises that Israel and Judah will be restored, that worship in Jerusalem will resume, that the line of David will once again produce a royal heir, Hope will be consummated in everlasting peace. The Lord is our righteousness, shall rule with justice and peace. The results of this for Jeremiah is a national and communal form of joy. The people holistically will experience joy as a result of God's restorative activity. This in turn results in the people rejoicing. It results in festive worship a festive worship and joy, a rejoicing that is shared with the world around them. But this hasn't happened yet. For Jeremiah, the people are still in captivity. Israel and Judah are still under foreign rule. Power, possessions, privilege are still a ways off. Restoration has yet to begun. And yet, Jeremiah is calling the people to have joy and to rejoice. To have joy and to rejoice in the mere possibility of it. In God's promise to do it and God's faithfulness to deliver on that promise. In spite of their circumstances, they are called to be a people of joy who share joy with the world. Living in less than perfect circumstances, they are called to be a people of joy who rejoice and in that rejoicing share joy with the world. But with all that we've experienced and seen over the past few decades, you might wonder if this is even possible today. Is it possible for us to experience joy is it possible for us to rejoice? Is it possible for us to share joy with the world? One of the stories in Dr. Sample's book is a story about a, a couple by the name of John and Edna. In 1980, John and Edna married. They were both 20 at the time when they got married. And over the next five years, they had two kids at that time, John was busting his back, dismantling cars at a salvage yard. He was making eight bucks an hour. With Edna staying at home to take care of the two kids, John knew his junkyard job wasn't going to make it. Fortunately for him, he was able to find work in, big corporate head, in a big corporate headquarters where he learned to install and maintain office decor and furnishings. For him, it was good and steady work. After learning the trade, he set up his own business and cultivated several clients. In the mid-1990s, he was clearing $70,000 a year, and he was doing pretty good. They were doing okay. In 1997, his biggest customer asked him to come work for them as an employee. They offered him benefits, retirement plan, medical care, and $55,000 for a starting salary. And he liked the idea of the stability and the fact that he no longer had the headaches of running his own company. So John signed on. You know the line, the grass always looks greener on the other side, until, right? Because John soon discovered working in a corporate environment, the different personalities, particularly in the management structure, he encountered his fair share of those who just disrespected him as the hired help, even though he had been an entrepreneur of his, of his own right at one time. But the work was good, the pay was good, and the benefits were a real bonus, so John stuck it out. In 2009, 12 years later, the company sold to a German corporation that went immediately into a company-wide reorganization. and They told John that he would be terminated immediately. They were eliminating his position. But if he wished, they would rehire him in the same position for a salary of $35,000. $20,000 less than what he initially started at 12 years before. Their plan was basically to keep him on the payroll while he trained the new people that they were bringing in who were going to be less expensive for them to keep around. When the change in his wages took place, John did what most would do. He told them where to stick their offer, and he walked out the door. Of course, that was 2009, at the height of the big recession, when it was in full effect. So think about this. Out of work for a few weeks, John took a night job in outdoor security for $10 an hour and no benefits. He was working five to six days a week and clearing just under $30,000 a year. The kids, of course, had grown and they were gone, so Edna took a part-time job at a fast food restaurant. She made about $12,000 a year. At the end of the story, it basically says that the two of them are at a point in their lives now where they're getting by, but just barely. You know what's fascinating is that their story is not an isolated incident. There are numerous John and Edna's out there. You may know just such a couple. For them, you wonder where they experience joy. Do they rejoice in their lives? And if there is no joy and rejoicing, how could we possibly expect them to share joy in the world around them? Personally, I have members of my own family who resonate with John and Edna. I watched something very similar happen to my father with the closing of Armco, or what would later become GST Steel here in Kansas City. Other members of my family also have similar kinds of stories. Over the past few years, some members of my family have prospered while others have been nearly decimated. Some of us have seen success and increases in our economic standing. Some of us have kept afloat, barely. Some of us, the air is slowly leaking from the life raft. It seems like drowning is inevitable. For several years, we all tried to pretend like we were doing really well. This particularly came out At Christmas, we'd buy gifts for each other's children. We'd buy nice gifts for our parents. We'd even take an opportunity to give gifts to one another. Now remember, I'm one of five kids, and there are ten nieces and nephews and four great nieces and nephews. So Christmas can get a little costly within my own family. And then you head over to Margaret's family, repeat the same thing, along with being generous to our children and our two grandsons. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling really anxious, friends. The cost of Christmas. Well, this year, my siblings and I decided to face reality. And we devised an intentional plan this year that's going to help us live into the joy of God's goodness and hopefully rejoice and share some of that joy with the world around us. We've decided not to buy presents for each other or our adult nieces and nephews. Instead, we are collecting and giving items of need to a local organization that supports homeless veterans. Margaret and I, we bought a coat, some gloves, a hat and scarf combo, and some heavy socks. We spent about $100 on some items that will be donated for supporting homeless veterans. But the nice thing about this is is that each of my siblings, my parents, and our adult kids can all make the choice on how much or how little they want to give to this effort, knowing that collectively we're going to share joy with someone who is in need. Because you see, I've come to believe that joy is about getting outside of yourself and your own circumstances, Joy is found in the elation and satisfaction you gain from the goodness and the beauty of God that is around you. Joy is found in others who have great meaning to your life. Joy is expressed in our rejoicing as we give God thanks and praise for all things, even if it seems like we have very little. As you think about this Christmas season, I think these are the things that God might be inviting us to. Maybe the first thing that we need to do is is a self-assessment. Ask yourself this question today. Are you despairing today because you feel slighted? Slighted by the culture and your circumstances. Could you possibly take a moment this morning to just think? Think about what God has given you and rejoice in that. Well, let me ask you this. Are you all wrapped up in the anxiousness of the Christmas season? Is it possible for you to take some time to do something that will benefit someone outside of you and your own family? Is it possible for you this season to change the dynamics so that your joy might turn into rejoicing, a form of rejoicing that will truly make a difference for someone who is in need? Because just like Jeremiah's audience, we live in a time of in-between. In the birth of Jesus Christ, we know that God inaugurated the kingdom of peace and justice, but it was not complete on day one. It's evolving day by day. It's moving forward forward toward its completion. And we, the church, we should have joy. Joy, knowing that God has invited us to participate in this transforming work. And it should cause us to share joy with the world. As the Apostle Paul put it in the letter to the Philippians, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say, rejoice. I pray that the world see our joy. Through our rejoicing, for God is good all the time. And we believe that all the time, God is good. Amen?